The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Thanksgiving to all of you. And I am so thankful for you, for all of the guests that follow this show, because you're just helping us remind everyone of the power of people with disabilities and the issues that we deal with. Now, I have to tell you from a personal note, it is just so special to me that our guest today, Tony Quello, is someone that personally I am so thankful for. I know all of you are, but I personally am very thankful for him because this month we are celebrating Epilepsy Awareness Month. Tony is the civil rights leader, former congressman. He has changed the lives of people with disabilities throughout the world with the being the author of the ADA, but I have to also say he has personally changed my life and only for the better. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. It's great to be on with you today. Well, Tony, the beginning of every show, we have been dedicating a few minutes to talk about the CRPD and get an update on the convention. And I think we have Rhonda on the phone. Rhonda, are you on the phone? Yes. You want to introduce yourself first? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Rhonda Newhouse, and I am a policy analyst for government affairs with the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, or DREDIS. I'm based in Washington, D.C., and we're a national policy organization. And I've been working actively on CRPD ratification, among many other issues. Yes, and let me just say, Rhonda's a little powerhouse. She's being modest here. She is a powerhouse advocate. So, Rhonda, we have people listening throughout the United States who are so wanting to follow what's going on to get this thing signed and approved. So where are we? Okay, and thank you for your com- your appreciation, Joyce. I feel the same about you. Um, so where we are right now, we recently in the last month have had two hearings on the convention, um, which have been in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, which is the com- Committee of Jurisdiction for the CRPD. Last week we had our second hearing where we had Secretary Kerry, who spoke, as well as representatives from AT&T and, uh, and Boyd and Gray speak on our behalf in support of the CRPD, um, which was very well attended. We had an amazing turnout from our community in and around the D.C. area, as well as people who flew in from around the country um, in person. Um, and then I really just want to say we have amazing network of over 800 organizations um, throughout the country who are working tirelessly on behalf of the CRPD, and I just want to, in, in gratitude and appreciation for Thanksgiving coming up, I want to give my public thanks to this large coalition and those I work with around the country and here in D.C. 
So where we are now is the next step is going to be um, the markup and the vote out of the of the Senate Farm We're hoping that that will happen in December, although it is not on the calendar as of yet. And then as soon as it gets marked up and voted out of committee, hopefully in the new year, we will move to a floor vote, um, make sure that we have the votes, um, continue to activate our community with calls. We need everybody to make, continue to make calls to your senators, tweet, Facebook, but calls are the most important um, in support of the CRPD to continue to let your senators know this is a marathon and not a race, um, and we need to continue to let them know that we, we want this, that the, the community in the United States, the business community, the disability community, vets, faith groups, and many others around the country are, are in, in support and actively working on this. And that's uh, treaty.org, is that right? The website is disabilitytreaty.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can, everybody can get information there. Just click on Action Center where you can click calls and it'll tell you who to call and what to say and how to say it. You can report back any information you get. There are petitions. There are ways to email your senators. And I also want to say that there are two important days that are coming up um, that we can use around the country to talk about the CRPD. One is next Tuesday, which is December 3rd, which is International Day of People with Disabilities. And there will be things going on all over the world and all over the country um, on in behalf and on, in recognition of International Day of People with Disabilities. And you can use that to try to get some media attention or submit a letter to the editor um, in support of the CRPD. And the second one is December 10th, the week after, which is International Human Rights Day. So you can use the next two weeks following Thanksgiving and tie any calls or tie any media attention or any visits to both International Day of People with Disabilities on December 3rd and International Human Rights Day on December 10th. And as always, go to disabilitytreaty.org and the Action Center for um, more information. And, and, def- and you can get on listservs with USID and with Dredif, um and follow many people on Facebook and Twitter and other social media for more information. Rhonda, I want to thank you not only for calling in, but for your dedication and advocacy. And I know how passionate you are about CRPD because, unfortunately, I was there and saw your reaction when it was voted down. But not going to happen again. And it won't happen again if everyone follows through, makes those calls, get fired up, get on it. And, Rhonda, we're on it. Thank you, Joyce, and thank you, everyone. We can get this done, and I'm very confident about that. Thank you very much. Lead on, Rhonda. Lead on, Joyce. Thanks for calling. Okay, now, Tony, you are, like, so in the middle of this because you've been behind this for a very long time, you know, author of the ADA, ADA Amendments Act, uh, 503, which thank you, Tony, because that is going to change lives of so many people with disabilities to be able to get to work. I mean, you know, it's like you're not doing enough, so now we had to add the UN Convention on Rights of Persons with Disabilities. But since you've been so involved from the beginning, I wanted you also to give them a little background about what happened the last time with uh, Senator Dole. 
Sure, uh, Joyce. Thank you very much. Rhonda did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's tireless, and she's uh, really been a great uh, advocate in leading uh, people to try to get them involved. So I, I appreciate the fact that she's on the line. The um, the thing is, I want to make sure that your listeners realize that all the treaty does is uh, basically take the ADA and and uh, try to make it an aspirational uh, thing for countries throughout the world. Um, it doesn't cost us uh, any money. Uh, it doesn't change any law. It has, does not uh, uh, change any American law at all. Um, and basically what it is is trying to encourage uh, countries throughout the world to um, uh, respect their uh, citizens with disabilities. In some countries, uh, if you're born with a disability, you don't get a birth certificate. You don't get an ID. And some countries, uh, um, women who become pregnant, uh, if they have a disability, the baby uh, is, is aborted. Um, if a child is born with a disability, in a lot of countries, they uh, put them in an institution. Uh, so this goes on throughout the world, and uh, we are trying to aspirationally get countries to realize that those of us with disabilities are are human beings just like everybody else, uh, that we have the right to fail and the right to succeed just like anybody else. And we don't want to impose uh, U.S. law or U.S. standards on anybody. And that's not what the intent is. The basic intent is to try to get uh, countries throughout the world uh, to treat us uh, uh, as human beings. I was going to say treat us like they do their own citizens, but in a lot of cases that's not good enough either. But it's basically uh, elevating the disability cause, and that's what it's all about. So uh, you asked the question about um, uh, what happened in December when it was voted down. Well, what happened basically is that um, uh, we went to the floor. You have to have 67 votes, two-thirds of the Senate, to pass a treaty. And we went to the floor with uh, 64 votes, uh, potentially 65, uh, feeling that uh, we could get the other two because there were several undecided and that if we got that close, people would not uh, vote against it. Senator Dole, uh, we had arranged for him to be on the floor, and his wife, Elizabeth Dole, who was a senator from um, North Carolina, um, we um, uh, got her to be on the floor as well. And um, we knew that that would be a dramatic situation and would help us get our final two votes. What happened, however, is that in a luncheon uh, that each of the parties Republican senators and the Democratic senators separately have a luncheon on that day. Um, and on that day, um, the, at the Republican luncheon, uh, there was a guest, and it was basically an individual who um, uh, had just gotten elected to the Senate from, from uh, t- Texas and who um, uh, came in as a guest. He had been sworn in yet. He came as a guest, uh, uh, Senator uh, Ted Cruz, and he came on and he gave uh, a rip roaring speech uh, what the uh, uh, treaty would do, how it would hurt people with disabilities, and so forth and so on. 
And uh, so instead of going to the floor with 64, 65 votes, we went to the floor with uh, 62 down to 61 votes. Um, the whole momentum changed. Um, uh, and we were, you know, all devastated because um, we had worked so hard on it. Um, and uh, what we've had to do this year in Erie, reintroducing it in a new Senate, was to convince people that it isn't true what some people say. Um, there's allegations that uh, if we sign the treaty, then the U.N. could send a committee in and, and uh, check your homes if you're a homeschooler to see if you're ADA compliant. If you're not, the U.N. could take your children away. That is so far-fetched, such a horrible lie that it's hard to argue against it. But what it did, unfortunately, was scared a lot of families who homeschool their, their children, disabled children, into thinking that it could be possible, and they all got alarmed and, and, uh, and called their senators. Um, so we've now had to work hard to make sure people understand that this treaty doesn't change in any law, and the U.N. has no authority in the United States. Uh, and we make that very clear in reservations, understandings that we can apply, it's sort of like amendments to the treaty. So it's been a difficult thing, and the same people who scream the loudest uh, also uh, raise money on this, and it's been a situation where people have been able to talk about how bad the treaty is, what it'll do, and please contribute uh, $5 or $10 or whatever you can for our cause. Um, so it's become a fundraising tool for uh, the extreme right, uh, and it's unfortunate. So we're working hard. Uh, it will come, as uh, said, will come to a markup, meaning they'll uh, try to pass it out of committee, uh, develop these amendments or RUDs, um, and uh, the week of December 9th. Um, that might be... Uh, a little premature, but that's what they're trying to do is for December 9th or maybe the week after. I predict that that uh, we won't get it to the Senate floor until January, um, but we're working hard. Things, I think, are developing a lot easier because people are now basically understanding. I say this, that the defeat of the treaty probably helped us more than it hurt us. It would have helped if we would have got it through, but as a result of the defeat, um, the media got up in arms, the disability community got up in arms, the business community that that is concerned about the treaty because what people don't realize is that we produce uh, uh, or, or develop most of the assistive technology that is used by people uh, with disabilities throughout the world. Uh, those are American jobs. Those are American tax uh, taxes. Uh, everybody benefits in our country from that because we are the world's leader on developing uh, assistive technology and, of course, on disabilities. Uh, our veterans uh, were not that active the last time around. Now they're uh, aggressively active. We have 14 of the organizations have written a letter where they walk the hill, they are very involved. The American Legion passed it at their convention and so forth. So you have millions of, Ameri of American veterans 
And what people say, well, you know, why would the veterans be interested? Well, you know, uh, number one is that uh, they gave up the limbs of their body uh, to fight for us. Uh, a lot of them have developed uh, mental illness because of their fighting for us. And they want the right to be able to travel the world. Um, and if the world's not accessible to them, that's a problem. The other thing is in regards to businesses that uh, veterans and Americans, other Americans, um, if they're offered a job um, overseas and that that country is not accessible, they can't take the job. Or if they get offered a job, a veteran gets offered a job or an American gets offered, another, uh, and other Americans get offered jobs, and they have a family member a member who is disabled and is not accessible, then they can't take their family or they don't, in effect, take the job. And we've had people write to us and tell us about um, that the, they're in one very dramatic case. This woman says that her husband was a Air Force uh, veteran and he got this great offer uh, overseas. And But because she's disabled... Uh, he didn't. He took the job, and then it wasn't accessible, so he had to quit, and they all came back home. Uh, but his ability to advance himself got hurt as a result of that. Um, so the veterans community is really involved. The business community is really involved like we've never had before. And we have a lot of people that have come forth who were just disgusted with the fact that we didn't approve the treaty who've gotten involved. So that's what happened. The result has been dramatic in getting people engaged and involved, and we're still working on that crowd, though, to to get them to be supportive. And we haven't uh, we haven't got the right wing, and we probably won't. Um, but we've got a lot of people who were influenced by them last time, who are being open-minded this time. So that's where we are. Um, that's the reason for it, and and I hope your listeners. Um, get engaged because, as was said, we need calls to your senators uh, now. Uh, the right, the markup, meaning the, the finalizing of the bill, it's going before the committee, and then it'll be on the Senate floor. So, no matter where you're from, um, uh, please call your senators and tell them that this is important for the United States. It's important for those of us with disabilities in helping our. Uh, fellow uh, folks throughout the world in, in improving their lives. You heard them. Make those calls. And by the way, I think we have a caller on the line. Judy, are you on the line? I am on the line. Hey, Judy, Judy Painter, Painter, how, are, how you? are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, limping around, Joyce. Yes, we know and, you had that yeah, terrible... When I, when I heard uh, Tony talking about accessibility, I can tell you, Tony, I... I you know, when 30 years ago in the United States, when they first started talking about curb cuts and accessibility to buildings and all that sort of thing, I never thought I would see the day when that would happen. But, you know, I have, I have been a beneficiary of that, um, having, you know, a broken bones and having to get around in wheelchairs and things like that. Uh, you know, it really makes a difference to to have that accessibility because you would be nowhere without it. That's right. Uh, you know, people were confined to their homes, as, as you were speaking, uh, people in other countries uh, um, that still have those experiences. 
And again, you are the leader of something that is so wonderful um, that, uh, you know, I, I just can't thank you enough for everything that you do with people with all kinds of disabilities. And I'm so, I'm not shocked at all about what Ted Cruz did because, you know, everything that he's done since he's become a senator has been, in my mind, negative. Uh, it surprises me very much that they, he has such a following. Um, but uh, I certainly will support this in any way that I can and certainly call my senators and mobilize my crew here to do that. I didn't realize the vote was coming up that soon. Yep. You you can help us because uh, one of your senators is not with us, so um, the calls would be helpful. Senator Toomey, if everyone could call Senator Toomey, that would be great. If you're in Pennsylvania, you could make that call. And you know what I was just thinking, Judy? You can put something on the website about the U.N. Convention because I just want to tell you, and Tony will tell you, at the hearing, the two people I see sitting side by side testifying in behalf of getting this done, Tom Ridge and Dick Thornburg. Of course. Two former governors of Pennsylvania. Two former Republican governors of yes, Pennsylvania. Exactly. And uh, two cabinet officers in the uh, Papa Bush administration. Uh, very strong Republicans. So this is a bipartisan uh, treaty. This is not something that uh, just the Democrats are advocating. As a matter of fact, it was written, uh, the, the support for it that went to the U.N. was written by George W. Bush, the son and when he was president. So uh, this is definitely bipartisan, but it's the... Similar to the Affordable Care Act that was yep. written by Republicans, and now we've got this right, right, uh, you know, people that aren't even, don't even seem like the Republicans, like Tom Ridge and Dick Thornburg and uh, well, Robert Well, don't forget, Dole. Judy, we also have John McCain, Senator Barrasso, I mean, anyone listening to the show, I just want you to know, we have really bipartisan support, but unfortunately, as Dick Thornburg said, this one thing that Tony talked about where people were saying about the homeschooling is not true. totally false, and here he is, former Attorney General, he's read this inside and out, he has no idea what people are talking about but I know but why do people tend to believe those, those well things? if you're not I don't know Tony what's your answer to that well it's scare tactics and and people go after the fear in people um, and if you're a, a mother or father of a disabled child and somebody says that this treaty could end up taking your children away um, you are afraid you're not going to take any chances and and so you immediately react and if it's from somebody who is a proponent of homeschooling, who is advocating that this is going to happen, uh, you you agree to it. Now, first we uh, have an amendment uh, called these they're called RUDs, reservations and understandings, um, that says that this uh, uh, has nothing to do with homeschooling. As a matter of fact, we have an amendment that says that. It would not have an impact on homeschooling whatsoever. Um, and so I really, I don't blame the people who make the phone calls because they're doing it out of fear and love for their children. Um, but I do blame the people who deliberately create the fear among these families about an issue that isn't true. 
and it's only to raise money and to advance their individual cause as opposed to helping the very people that they're frightened. Um, and I deeply resent it. I deeply, deeply resent it. I'll bet you do. Well, Judy, and, and uh, I, hope that, you... I hope that they have seen that side of you that lets people know how much you deeply resent it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean that he's a fireball? He's he not a fireball. Sure he's is. fire, period. <laughs> he uh, fire. Hey, Ju- Judy, before you go, yes. um, I just want all of our listeners to know, you know, Judy has done so much in her life for people with epilepsy, and at the beginning of next year she will be retiring. And as this is Thanksgiving, I want to thank you, Judy, for all you've done for people with epilepsy. Well, I want to wish you the very happiest of Thanksgiving, Joyce. You too, Tony. Well, and before you thank get you off, all Judy. for being part of my life and mentoring me and making me a better person. Judy, before you get off, I just want Joyce's listeners to know that uh, I've been involved in the epilepsy movement for years and years and years. I'm 71, so that gives you an idea how many years... Um, and I will say to people that I was chairman of the board of the Epilepsy Foundation, I was CEO for a period of time, and nobody has helped me more than Judy Painter and making sure that we did the right thing in the middle of crisis and so forth. So I love you for it. You know that, and I just love the way you handle things and the way you tell me off when I'm wrong and (laughs) the way you love me when I'm right. So I love you. I love you, whether you're right or wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Love you both. Take care. Love you. Happy Thanksgiving, Judy. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Thank you, Judy. You know, uh, Tony, since Judy was just on, and this is Epilepsy Month, I'm happy to tell you we have, like, a huge listening base. It seems to get larger and larger. But there are people listening that, you know, may not know your story, and I wondered if you would mind telling your personal story um, that's why we aren't taking any breaks today, uh, so that people would understand why you do what you do. I'm happy to, Joyce. Uh, please don't let me get winded on it because I get uh, it's it is my personal story and I get engaged. Well, it, it started when I was 16. I was in the barn milking cows on my family's dairy farm, and all of a sudden I uh, passed out, not knowing what uh, I what happened or anything, and I woke up. And my doctor was sitting on me, and, uh, you know, I lived out in the country, uh, a town of 2,000 people. I always joke if you count the cows and the chickens. And and I uh, woke up, and this doctor sitting on me, and, and I couldn't talk at first. But I, I uh, finally asked what was what was going on. They said, well, you've, you've passed out. You're okay. Uh, we don't know what it is, and blah, blah, blah. We're going to do some more research. What I didn't know then is that uh, the doctor uh, told my parents that I uh, was having seizures, that I had epilepsy probably. And my parents uh, uh, were were taught to believe that if you had epilepsy, it meant you were possessed by the devil Um, and that God was punishing the family, not because necessarily I did anything wrong, but somebody in the family had done something wrong and that God was punishing that family through my seizures so that openly people could see that we were a marked family. Now, I didn't know any of this, and consequently, uh, I didn't know they were keeping it from me. I didn't know anything about this this uh, feeling among a lot of cultures. 
Um, and so I thought, well, the doctor uh, knew what he was talking about. And so I went to several doctors. They thought it was lack of calcium, I was told. I took medicine for that. Um, I probably realize now that it was uh, epilepsy medicine, but, you know, they said I didn't have it. But anyhow, I was... I went to several doctors, and finally my parents gave up on the medical doctors, and they sent me to witch doctors. And so I went to about three different witch doctors, and they you know, poured the oil on my head and uh, burned incense and said prayers uh, and so forth. And as a 17-year-old, it basically scared the heck out of me. Um, I finally said to one uh, witch doctor that I didn't believe, and my parents got upset. But I never went back again. And um, this was during high school and so forth, and I was student body president, outstanding senior. So I have my seizures, but I still function normally, obviously, when I wasn't. And uh, then I went to college, and um, at, at Kennedy gets assassinated in 63, and I decide as a result of that to become a Catholic priest. Um, I joke it in this part and say that that was to the shock of my girlfriend of five years and to my fraternity brothers who knew better. <laughs> uh, but uh, I decided that's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to, to devote my life to helping people as I felt John F. Kennedy did. And I had intended to be a lawyer and uh, go to law school and be a lawyer. And um, I uh, entered the seminary upon graduating. And I was out saying senior and student body president and all this stuff and got a lot of job offers, but I turned it all down and to go in the seminary, and I did. Uh, but I had to have a physical, and so uh, I go through my physical, and the doctor, Dr. John Doyle Sr. in Los Angeles, um, said to me, uh, have you ever had passing out spells or, or headaches? And I said, yes, all the time. They said, uh, did anybody ever tell you what it was? I said, no, they could never find out what it was. And I told him my story. And so he said, well, you have epilepsy. Um, you um, won't have to serve in the military because you're 4F. And number two, um, because of your epilepsy, there's a canon law, which is the laws of the Catholic Church. There's a canon law established in 400 A.D. that says if you have epilepsy or possessed by the devil, you can't be a priest. So I was kicked out. I, at that point, I was happy because I knew what these uh, seizures were or this, this problem was and that there was medication that could help me and so forth. So at age 21, I started taking medication, and at uh, 71, I'm still taking medication, and I still have seizures. Um, but... I was thrilled because I knew what it was, and I felt good about it. So I called my family. My family, when I told them, thought they'd be happy, but they said, no son of ours has epilepsy. Again, I didn't know why they were saying it. Now I understand it, but at the time I didn't. Um, I get kicked out of the priesthood. I, uh, my family rejects it. I try to get a job everywhere I went. Um, I checked the box that I had epilepsy because the word epilepsy was on every ab job application. And those people that had been seeking me out uh, when I was graduating now didn't uh, uh, have any room for me. And I got turned down by everybody. I became, I started drinking. I, uh, I was drunk every day by uh, 2 or 3 in the afternoon, and I would uh, drink at in Griffith Park in Los Angeles, California. One day, 
uh, I'm very suicidal, and I'm uh, I can't I can't imagine living the way I was because everything I'd ever loved in my life had turned against me. Um, my God, uh, my family, uh, everything I believed in had changed and turned against me. Then I'm drunk one day um, on this hill. I thought it was a mountain at the time, but uh, I realized it's only a hill. But I was um, drunk one day, and I heard the music of America Round. And I looked down, and sure enough, there was America Round with little kids getting off and on. I'd never seen it before, never paid attention. I was too absorbed into myself. And I, uh, I looked at those little kids, and something came over me and said that, um, I changed my life forever, but basically it was that I was never going to ever let anything or anybody ever stop me from believing in myself again. And I never have. Uh, from that day forward, I felt positive about myself. I felt positive about my epilepsy. Uh, I um, uh, left that mountain, went back to the fraternity house where I was staying, and um, I uh, felt good about myself and the head of the psychology department at Loyola University uh, in Los Angeles came to me and said I uh, have an opportunity for you and it was to live with the Bob Hope family and uh, so I I did I lived with the Hope family for a year and um, I was treated as a member of the family um, went to different events with him and so forth. Mr. Hope and I became good friends. He said to me one day, he said, Tony, you think you have a ministry, and uh, ministry uh, can be practiced in all kinds of things. It can be practiced in religion, of course. It can be practiced in business. It can be practiced in entertainment. It can be practiced in sports. But the most important and the most effective is in politics. And I'd never thought of that before. And he said, you would be perfect in politics. And he said, I don't mean working for the government. I mean actually being involved in the political system. He said, that's where you belong. I thought about it, and a few couple of weeks later, I wrote a letter to my congressman, got an uh, interview with him from Fresno, California. And I got an interview with him, and he immediately said, I want you to become part of my staff. And so that was 19... Uh, 65, April of 65, I started working for him. And I've been in politics ever since. I didn't think I w was interested, uh, but because of Mr. Hope, I, I uh, was, and I've given him credit for steering me in this direction. When One day later, he got upset with me. He said, um, you know, I could have put you in with somebody important. And I said, well, I, I love my congressman. And uh, I worked for my congressman for 14 years. And then when I, when he retired, he wanted me to take his place. Um, I did, uh, and I ran, and my opponent used my epilepsy against me one point and said I was a very sick man. What would you think if Tony went to the White House uh, and, and uh, arguing a critical issue for us, such as water, which is a huge issue in Western United States? and argued uh, on water and, and had, a, had a seizure. Um, I got calls that night from several people who were at the dinner. The next day I got a call from a reporter who said, I understand this happened last night. What's your reaction? 
And I'm not always that clever, but uh, I always say the good Lord was with me. And uh, I responded by saying, well, you know, in the 14 years I've been a staffer in the Congress, I've seen a lot of people uh, go to the White House and have fits, but at least I'd have an excuse. (laughs) And that ended it, Joyce. I've never had anybody take me on. Oh, that was good. (laughs) But my epilepsy again. Um, As a matter of fact, it has been my guide uh, and doing a lot of different things since then. But I got elected and decided that I was going to devote myself to agriculture and water issues, which was critical for my district, but that my passion was going to be doing something about those of us with disabilities. So I offered amendments and so forth, and then realized that that wasn't enough, that uh, we needed our basic civil rights. In other words, a right to uh, have access to uh, life just like anybody else. Uh, And before 1990, we were discriminated against in movie theaters because if you were in a wheelchair, you became a fire hazard. If you were going to a restaurant and you couldn't see the menu, you were a nuisance if you asked what was on the menu. On and on and on. Um, and so I decided to do the ADA. And, um, and I'm you know, most proud of that than anything I've done because uh, obviously it's passed and, and we amended it later because the Supreme Court uh, said that it didn't cover uh, non-physical uh, disabilities, which I find intriguing because I wrote the darn thing, and yet they were saying I excluded myself. <laughs> um, but uh, but we then did a the ADA Amendments Act, and it passed the Congress as well. Um, and uh, I I am proud of it because we export a lot of things all over the world, uh, some good, some bad. Um, but we have exported the respect for those of us with disabilities all across the world. Uh, 52 different countries have the ADA as law of their land um, in some form or another. Um, We now have 130 people, 130 countries, who have signed the the Disabilities Treaty um, and have ratified it. We have not. The leading the leading country in the world in regards to disabilities uh, has not uh, uh, certified the treaty, uh, which doesn't make any sense in the world at all. And that's why I work so hard in regards to um, uh, helping those of us with disabilities and changing laws and trying to get, like, 503 changed because uh, federal contractors and subcontractors... uh, by law, for years, uh, are supposed to not discriminate against people with disabilities. They have to prove that they are hiring people with disabilities. That law, when it was established 30-some years ago, um, uh, basically said uh, that federal contractors and subcontractors, remember, they get work for the federal government. Uh, They supply goods like paper and pencils and airplanes and so forth, to the federal government, and the stipulation basically is is that if you're going to get taxpayer money to supply goods and services for the federal government, you have to make sure that you're hiring people with disabilities, uh, women, and people of color. Um, That's what we believe in as a country. And so uh, this law goes into effect. Of course, it's made a huge difference with regards to women 
has made a huge difference in regards to um, uh, people of color. Uh, Justice Ginsburg on the Supreme Court says that if it hadn't been for 503, she wouldn't be on the court, meaning that uh, it uh, permitted women to get involved in the legal system. And um, and so the the uh, enforcement of the 503 for people with disabilities was never enforced. And the reason it wasn't is the excuses was. We don't have a, a definition for disability. Uh, and we don't have the data to employ it. In other words, we don't uh, have anything on the Census Bureau or, or any statistics at all in regards to how many people have disabilities and where where do they live. So I went to work on it in the first of the Clinton administration, and uh, and we developed a a, uh, a definition of disability uh, for all the federal agencies and now used by uh, everybody. And then we came up with the question for the Census Bureau to ask so the Bureau of Labor Statistics could start to determine how many people with disabilities there are throughout the country, uh, which uh, states and cities they live in. So if you're going to require federal contractors to hire people, you have to know that there are people with disabilities uh, in these different areas and so forth. So it took uh, 25 years, but finally we got it done, and President Obama uh, signed an executive order um, saying that federal contractors, subcontractors have to comply with the law, have to go ahead and, and do this. Been a lot of uh, arguing. As a matter of fact, the uh, one of the associations just filed a lawsuit against it, saying that people with disabilities aren't strong enough to do construction work. Uh, those are the same people that said that women uh, couldn't be in the military because they weren't strong enough. Uh, it's also the same people who said that women uh, shouldn't uh, move up in corporate America, shouldn't be CEOs, and so forth. And so the feeling um, against uh, uh, those of us with disabilities is that we're not fully competent, we're not fully able. Uh, that's the stigma that we've been fighting. That's the stigma that I believe so strongly needs to be taken on and go after and prove to people that we would, those of us with disabilities um, have just as much ability as somebody else. There are a lot of people like me, who can't be a fireman, who can't be a policeman, because I might have a seizure uh, driving a fire engine or, or uh, a uh, police car, and I can't own a gun. Um, and so uh, I don't have any trouble with those restrictions. But you know what? I know a lot of people who couldn't be a successful congressman or couldn't be a su successful CEO in Wall Street. Um, and I was, and I still have seizures. Um, so I can go on and on about the people with disabilities and how they've been successful, like you, Joyce, in running a company, a very successful company. But I could give example after example of um, uh, we have ability and people need to pay attention and give us credit for our abilities, as they should with anybody, with or without a, uh, a disability, uh, is that you should judge people on their abilities, uh, not on the color of their skin or, or their looks, um, or their uh, sexuality, or whatever. Um, and that's what's made America such a strong country, and we can't let people um, beat us down now. Tony, when I hear this whole story, you know what I'm sitting here thinking? 
Bob Hope gave the world hope with you because you gave the world hope. Uh, that's what I have to say. I know we have a caller on the line. Mark, are you on the line? I am here. Hey, Mark Periello, how are you? I am doing great. How are you, uh, Joyce oh, and Tony? Oh, good. CEO of AAPD, do you have a question or comment? Um, I have a question um, and a comment. Um, so, Tony, I've been listening to your story, um, and uh, I've heard parts of it before, and it never um, never ceases to sort of choke me up and really sort of humble me um, in the sense that we all have so much work to do and we all are, are human. Um, I, too, right, like you, when I was younger, I'm blind in my right eye, um, went to many faith healers, um, you know, I sort of paraded around by my parents, and it takes quite a toll on, on young people um, when they're told you need to be fixed or changed um, or somehow you're not living up to some divine expectation, and, and that is why perhaps you aren't being healed. Um, my question to you is, what do you say to young folks who might be listening, um, who might be going through the same thing, um, about how they can stay, stay strong and know that they are inherently valued as a human? Well, I would say first off is that uh, most parents who may not seem to be understanding or you may think uh, are negative realize that they do a lot of this based on their love for you, uh, not because they're discriminating, not because they're negative, but because of their love for you, at times they are the ones that hold you back. They're the, they don't want you to get hurt. They, don't, uh, they believe, uh, as a lot of people believe, that, uh, that you don't have the ability to do certain things. So uh, first off, I would say, um, if your parents aren't cooperative and helpful, um, don't think they're being negative. Uh, it's the other way around. Um, and uh, it's what you have to do is try to educate them about it if you can. If you can't, just understand that, number one. Number two is you've got to believe in yourself. Um, you have to, I tell people, young people all the time, and I speak to young people a lot, to so go up to that mirror, look at that mirror, and talk to that person in the mirror. Because that's the only person who knows what you really believe and what you really think. And tell that person uh, that you love them. Tell that person that you believe in them. Tell that person they're okay. Because you've got to do that if you have a disability because we have to believe in ourselves. We have to be willing to fight for what we believe in. We've got to be willing to fight to have that job, to do whatever we want to do. Recognize what you can't do, but really pursue what you can do. And that person in the mirror will tell you if you're fibbing about it or if you're misleading yourself or whatever because you know what the truth is. And that person in the mirror will tell you uh, that you know what the truth is. And so I, I just, you know, our, our young people today, um, a lot of the stigmas that we grew up with are no longer there or that are, are being eroded. But the most important thing is you've got to believe. And don't let somebody bully you. Uh, because of your disability or uh, whatever it is. Just don't let them do it. Um, I've had too many young people that I've mentored who gave up um, because of the bullying and so on. Um, so believe, 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 believe. Wow. Good advice, no matter what age, I think. Yep. <clears throat> I always say 
that if you could get that one thing that Tony just talked about there and bottle it, oh, my God, you'd be like a trillionaire because that is the key, (coughs) believing in yourself and what you can do. I agree. And, Mark, have a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, also, how's everything going at AAPD? Things are going really well at AAPD. Thank you, um, and actually thanks to both of you, um, and have a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. Um, I actually would just add, um, we just finished a forum on technology with um, groups like Google and AT&T and IBM and Verizon and Time Warner and Comcast um, that was really productive. Um, You know, technology has the power, I think, to be a great equalizer for our community, Um, and it was a wonderful discussion, so I would just say, Keep your eyes out uh, for more information on that in the future. Thank you, Mark. All right. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Tony, I don't know if I've ever asked you this on the radio show before, but um, and, and there may be more than one, but, you know, if you'd be being interviewed right now, who would you say your role model has been? Um. Probably uh, several people in different parts of my life. Um, the uh, I, I, Bob Hope, of course, had a huge impact on me, um, and and I loved all the things that he stood for. He was, um, you know, American through and through. Although he was uh, British born, um, but he loved this country, and he. Uh, uh, went to Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia many times in the, right in the middle of war and, and right up in the front lines entertaining the troops. Every Christmas I was there uh, during the one Christmas in 64, and he was not there with his family. But when he returned, we celebrated New Year's as Christmas. Um, but there's a guy who was unselfish. He was married for 50 years, lived to be 100 and and uh, uh, one or whatever it was, he he was just um, a, a type of person you loved being around. He was always up. Um, he was always thinking about what should and should not happen. He he later would question me about um, my not staying that involved with him, and I said I never wanted to take advantage of what he did for me or his fame or whatever. Um, and he appreciated so much my giving him the credit uh, for turning me around. Um, but he he was uh, early on, my first hero was my high school superintendent who believed in me and urged me to to go to school, go to college, and, and not let hmm. uh, me stop, um, uh, and who really pushed me hard. And he and I became very, very close friends until he died. I did the eulogy for his services, um, and I always amazing the new things I find out about you. And then uh, my my boss, Congressman Bernie Sisk, mm-hmm. became my third hero in that um, he he believed in me. Um, uh, we had a, uh, a a staff member who tried to get me fired. Um, uh, because he was jealous of the relationship that I had with my boss, you know, like father and son. Uh, I was the son he never had, and he was the father I never had. Um, and he, um, 
I'd have seizures, and he'd tell everybody that's okay, just having a seizure, just let him let him alone. And then when I'd get through with my with seizing, um, he would you know make sure I had some water, and then we'd proceed. We, you know, whatever we were doing, we'd proceed as if nothing ever happened. And and he was so up and positive about it. It you know sometimes I'd cry because he was just so positive, and he. Know, for 14 years, he wanted me to succeed and wanted me to take his place, and I was a, a mere staffer, and I ran for Congress and got elected because of it. Um, and then a person that I looked up to that I didn't know, um, that I wanted to be like, and uh, he had a huge impact and wanted me to go in the priesthood, obviously, um, and then I moved into politics was John F. Kennedy. I mean, he. I, I read every book about him. I, I was in a uh, state of fog uh, for five days during that period when he got shot. Um, but he was, you know, kind of the example for me of somebody who gave a lot. I didn't need to give, uh, but was engaged and, and uh, wanted to do the right thing uh, for all citizens. So... So those are my heroes um, uh, uh, throughout throughout my life, um, and I've tried to live up to what they taught me. Wow. Well, those are some powerful people. And, Tony, before you uh, give the your, whatever message you want to leave with our guest, first I want to say hello, Yoshiko Dart. You are just amazing how you've been so faithful with all these shows, and I know how much you look forward to Tony's show. But the other thing I want to say is, Tony, you are my role model, and you have definitely changed my life to make me not only believe in myself but want to help other people even more. And so as a woman living with epilepsy, I just want to thank you for everything you have done to help me and help people with disabilities. Well, thank you, Joyce. I appreciate it. Uh, those comments, you, you know, you and I like um, uh, brother and sister uh, now, and we've developed this great relationship, which is uh, um, cherished by me. And you know what I've said many times is that you uh, unselfishly uh, have employed um, thousands of people throughout the country and uh, in Canada Um who have disabilities who would not have been placed otherwise, you've changed their life. Um, and so uh, I just really appreciate uh, everything that you've done for uh, people with disabilities. I don't think people realize the impact that you as a single person have had in the lives of uh, thousands of uh, people with disabilities uh, well, thank you, but it's a pittance to what you've done. <laughs> and just to show that, I end every show with a quote from someone that has impacted all of us, impacted the world. And today, that quote is from Tony Quello, who said, Work, work gives us dignity. Thank you, Tony, and happy Thanksgiving to all of you listening to the show. I hope you and your family, all of you, have a blessed Thanksgiving. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Joyce. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. You too. You too.
Talk to you next week, everyone. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 